take your Bible or one that is located near you in the pew rack and turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. The message this morning will be drawn from John 1, verses 35 to 51. An exciting look at the fact of the Lord Jesus Christ and of how people come to him. And as you uh, find John 1, would you please stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. I will read John 1, verses 40 through 45, beginning in John 1, 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which translated means Peter. The next day, he purposed to go forth into Galilee, and he found Philip, and Jesus said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida of the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Of the visibility of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, of whom the Lord Jesus Christ will later say in this gospel, was the greatest man born of woman. In every age, those who have done the most and meant the most to the Lord's work have been people like John the Baptist. People who have not said, Behold me. Behold my gifts and my message. Behold the church. Behold the program. Behold the facilities. Not like that. But people like John the Baptist who always and ever said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The sin of the world. People will only be changed by encounter with Jesus Christ. They will only be saved and brought into encounter with Christ as they are pointed to Him. So strong was the witness of John the Baptist to his disciples about Jesus that they left Him and followed Jesus. In this passage, we see how the first Five of the disciples come to the Lord Jesus Christ. The first five of the twelve that he gathered around himself. There is Andrew, the brother of Peter, who was a very practical man. There was John, the beloved apostle, who was the poetic and sensitive one. There was Simon Peter, uh, of whom volumes have been and should have been written, that impetuous and impulsive man. There was Philip, who was a natural-born skeptic. And there was Nathaniel, who was given to periods of meditation where he would go and sit and think, trying to figure everything out. 
John the Baptist, for God's reasons that we do not know, was not allowed to be included in that close circle of the twelve who followed and lived and worked with Jesus Christ. But we have reason to believe that every one of the twelve was first prepared to follow Jesus by the ministry of John the Baptist. What an example that ought to be to us. No church ought ever to be built on anybody's personality. There are many ways to skin a cat. And in this growth, uh, in this era of the growth of the art of church growth, uh, many ways have been identified to create a crowd. They, some are well and good, others are uh, beneath the integrity and the dignity of the church. But whatever is done, if anything is done to build a ministry on anything other than the Word of God and the God of the Word, that will have its day, it will pass, and it will never be remembered. It must always be built on the Lord Jesus Christ and on His Word. Now as we come to John 1, 35 to 51, the end of this chapter, I want you to notice these things. First of all, in verses 35 through 37, here we see the disciples of John the Baptist as they are forgetting John. Beginning in verse 35. Again, the next day, John was standing in two of his disciples, and he looked upon Jesus as he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And two of the disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Here is John the Baptist, as he always did, pointing people away from himself and to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, John the Baptist knew, he had always known, that the time would come when the men that had gathered around him, the ones he loved, into whom uh, he had poured his life, those men would turn away from him and they would follow Messiah. But John the Baptist is an unusual man in many regards. But he is most unusual in the fact that there was absolutely no rivalry, no jealousy, uh, no envy of the Lord Jesus Christ in John the Baptist. He came to lead men to Christ. And he was fulfilling his purpose. He knew that his work was done. Jesus had come to John the day before to be recognized, to be announced. And John had announced him before the crowd. And now on the next day, Jesus comes nearby again, not to meet the crowd, but to begin to gather that little flock around him. And John turns to two who are with him at that moment and says privately to them, there he is, the time has come, you need to go and follow him. John attests that the reason they have prepared has come. They are now to leave and go with Jesus. You know, it is interesting, and it's a little bit speculative, but it's still interesting, 
that the first time Jesus came and John identified him before the crowds, his disciples did not catch on. Previously, John, in his, I'm sure, eloquent uh, way before the crowd, in his booming voice, had said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But the disciples stayed with John. And his first identification didn't do it, so he did it again. And I think there is certainly a lesson to be heard, to be learned here. We are prone to think it either works or it doesn't. Do it. If it doesn't work, forget it. Do something else. That's not the way it works. Do you recall the word picture the Lord Jesus paints uh, in his teaching of evangelism, of sharing the truth with people? He said, a sower went forth to sow, and he sowed seed wherever he went. Now, seed doesn't hit the ground, grow, and get harvested all at one time, but that's the way we expect the ministry of the church to be. Not so. Not so. And if a seed is planted and it's dug up every day to examine it, it will never germinate. So we need to be patient and we need to remember the facts are the facts. The facts are Jesus came into human flesh, the eternal God laying down his uh, elements of his deity becoming a man. He was totally human. He was totally divine. He lived. He taught. He died. He resurrected. He stands by the right hand of the Father having never died again and he will come for us and for all who trust him. The facts are always the facts and we just keep presenting the truth. See the pattern here. John the Baptist speaks. The disciples listen. John the Baptist speaks. The disciples hear. And then they follow Christ. In Romans 10, 13 through 17, as the Apostle Paul talks about the way the gospel gets uh, spread and the way people come to Christ, he said it this way, For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. However, they did not all heed the glad tidings, for Isaiah says, Lord... Who has believed our report? So then, faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Finally, John the Baptist tells them, Messiah has come, the Christ, the Lamb of God. They can see him, they can follow him, they can now be with him. And even though it took them a little time, they have now shifted their allegiance from their teacher to their master. And over the next several days, after the day that we read about in these verses, Jesus gathered around himself a dozen of the followers of John the Baptist. You know, this must have been a very difficult time. These young men were men of open heart. They were willing to follow. 
They had set a direction in their lives to seek and follow God's plan for their lives. They had uh, attached themselves to one who spoke the truth. They loved him and for him and for them. It must have been very, very difficult. But the time came, as indeed it must come for all of us when they realized that there is always a greater loyalty than to each other. It is that loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here these disciples are forgetting John the Baptist. Having forgotten John, we now see them following Jesus. Verses 38 to 42. And Jesus turned and beheld them following and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. They came therefore and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour, following Jesus. In verse 38, Jesus turned and he looked at them. He really took the first step toward them. Here we see divine initiative. He always does take the first step. Saint Augustine, Bishop of Hippo, the great theologian of the church, said a long time ago, yet it is still true today, we could not have begun to seek him if he had not already found us. He always takes the first step. They call him rabbi. Literally, rabbi means my personal great teacher. It is a term of respect. It is a term of affection. It had been reduced uh, in Jewish circles at times to a title. But here it is a sign that already they recognize the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is interesting in these verses that John the Apostle, who is the other of the two who stood that day and heard John the Baptist speak, Behold the Lamb of God, even remembers the time of day. John began to follow the Lord Jesus, John the Apostle, in approximately the year A.D. Uh, 29 or 30. When he wrote this gospel, it was between 90 and 100 A.D., 60 to 75 years later. And yet, he remembers with precision and clarity even the time of day that all of this happened. And this is a good place for me to point out to you, if you are not aware of it, that John the Apostle nowhere in this gospel mentions himself or any member of his family. Though in all of the other gospels, he, his brother James, and his parents are referred to often. But John the Apostle, when he came at the end of his life, 
to write a record that was different from the other gospel records to fill in some of the gaps to show the divinity and the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ was so compelled by his purpose to magnify Christ he made a decision that he would not even mention his own existence. That is a worthy objective. And then Jesus asked them the question that I have taken the title for this message from. He said to them simply as he turned to look at them and waited on them to come, What do you seek? What do you seek? I am quite certain that most of you, and I certainly feel the same way, do not like to answer dumb questions. And I especially do not like somebody out of the blue for no apparent reason to ask me a question and demand an instant answer. But I suggest to you that you need to take time today, if you never have, and you need to find in your heart an answer to the question, what do you seek as you follow Jesus Christ? What do you seek? Are you looking for a warm, fuzzy feeling? You may find it, but it's temporary and it will not sustain you in the dark days of your life. What do you seek? Do you seek a way to do your duty? A way to check off your obligations? A way to make yourself feel better because you have done some of the right things? If you are, you are seeking a substitute to commitment to the Lordship of Christ. What do you seek? What do you seek? You need to answer that question for yourself. And their answer to him was very direct and very uh, beautiful, I think. They said to him, when he said, what do you seek? They said, Lord, where are you staying? In other words, we want to move in. We're ready. We want to follow you. They didn't answer with a what. They answered with a who. We want you, and we want to follow you. It is important to remember that none of us are as important as some people would have us believe. And conversely, none of us are so unimportant as some other people think that we are. Have you ever noticed in dealing with people who are quote, important, end of quote, that they are hard to see, hard to get an appointment with, hard to uh, get to and talk to. Jesus isn't. And you will never know anybody more important than him. And whenever you need him, he is available. He is there. John... The other one who never mentions himself or his family. And Andrew spent that night with the Lord Jesus. Once they saw him, once they found him, once they made the break with their teacher, they followed him from that moment on. And then notice in verses 41 and 42 as we continue as with the disciples following Jesus. It says of Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, He found first his own brother and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which, is, which translated means Christ. 
Actually, the word Christ is from the Greek Christos. It means the one who is chosen and anointed. Messiah is from the Hebrew and Aramaic Mashiach. It means Messiah, one who is chosen and anointed. And Andrew says to Peter, we have found him. The verb, we have found him, is the word from which we get our English word, Eureka. Now, some of us are old enough to remember Eureka. I don't know how someone found it in the Greek and brought it over into the English, but they did centuries ago, and it means we have found it. It is an exclamation. It is a verb of fact, a verb of certainty, a verb that leaves no question as to its definiteness. The commentator of another age named Rolock made this comment on these verses. How powerful is the preaching of Christ? One or two words about Christ and the cross. How powerful they are in changing the hearts of men. Preach, if you will, about the great deeds of kings and generals and their courage and glory. These things will please men for a time, but it will not change them. But preach concerning him who was crucified, a subject apparently foolish and pointless. And then the story of the cross, which is foolishness to those who perish, will be the power of God and the wisdom of God to those who believe. Forgetting John and following Jesus. Whenever we see Andrew, and we only see him center stage three times. But every time we see Andrew, he is bringing someone to Jesus. That was his apparent purpose in life. Here he goes and is the first one to find his brother and brings Peter to Jesus. Later we see him when everybody else is wringing their hands, bringing a little boy with five loaves and two fishes to Jesus. And the 5,000 are fed. And still later, we see the first hint that the gospel will spread to all nations as Greeks come to the disciples and say to them, Sirs, we would see Jesus. And Andrew brings them to the presence of Jesus Christ. Let that be the way that we operate, bringing people to Jesus. Jesus, when he saw Peter, did not only see what Peter was, he saw what Peter could become. He said to Peter, you are Simon, you shall be Peter. Peter means rock. He was not like that. He was impulsive, he was impetuous, he was unreliable. But Jesus saw the possibilities in him and pronounced ahead of time what he would become. And that's the way Jesus accepts all of us. You do not need to fix yourself before you get right with God through Jesus Christ. You need to come exactly as you are. He has plenty of practice and plenty of power in fixing people. It is said of the great uh, Renaissance sculptor Michelangelo that... A man came into his workplace and found Michelangelo 
uh, chipping away at a huge block of marble and said to him, what are you doing? Meaning, what are you making? And Michelangelo said, I am releasing the angel that is hidden in this marble. Jesus Christ is the one who sees and can release the hero that is hidden in every one of us. Peter was brought to Jesus by a relative, by the simple word of testimony of his brother. They abode with him from that very first day. Forgetting John, following Jesus, what came next? We see the disciples finding men. In verses 43 through 46, the next day he purposed to go into Galilee, and he, that is Jesus, found Philip, and Jesus said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, Eureka, we have found him of whom Mo Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Come and see. Notice that the Lord Jesus himself went after one. And it is comforting to know, and it is absolutely the truth, that God is about the business of bringing people to himself. Often it is his way that he use our hands, our feet, our voices, our love, our compassion to bring people to him. But they are not at the mercy of our gifts. They come to him by the power of his Holy Spirit. He found Philip. Then we see Philip find another. And when Philip found Nathanael, Nathanael began to argue. But Philip did not argue with him. He simply said, come and see. We can be sure of Jesus, every bit as sure as Philip was. It is my judgment that very few people have ever been argued into the kingdom of God. Very few. Rather, we must tell them simply to come and see. Notice that Philip says the Old Testament, Moses in the law and also the prophets, are full of the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, it is one of the highest and most important truths of our Christian faith that Jesus Christ is the sum and the substance of the entire Bible. He is the thread that ties it all together. We see him in every part of it, and if we do not, it is because we have not looked. Ask the Lord, and he will show you. In the Old Testament, every promise of deliverance and forgiveness points to Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament law, every detail of the ritual, every sacrifice for sin, every offering for peace, and forgiveness, all of it, is a shadow of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the prophet like unto Moses that Moses promised in his last message to the people. He is the king of David's house. 
As Isaiah saw him, he is the son of the virgin and the lamb of God. As Jeremiah saw him, he is the branch that grows from the house of Jesse until it becomes dominant. As Ezekiel the prophet said, he is the true shepherd who shall bring his people together. And as Daniel prophesied, he is Messiah who was to be cut off. He is there in everything. And I encourage you to develop the habit of breathing a prayer that I breathe every day as I read God's Word from Psalm 119, verse 18, where it says, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. And he will, and he does. The disciples finding man. And then notice in verses 47 through 51, here are men finding Jesus. Now a little overlap here, but a little different look. Nathaniel, by the way, and Bartholomew are one in the same. Nathaniel is a, a first name. And the name Bartholomew of the disciples is not mentioned in this gospel. In other gospels, the name Nathaniel is not mentioned. Nathaniel is a first name. Bartholomew is a last name. It means the son of Ptolemy, as Simon Barjona in the King James means Simon the son of John. So they are one in the same man. Now Nathaniel is brought to Christ in spite of his skepticism. And when he is brought to Christ, he let his skepticism go. Let's read these verses, beginning in verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered, answered him and said, Because I say it, said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You shall see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you shall see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Nathaniel, before his friend found him, was meditating under a fig tree. Jesus saw him there. Indeed, the tree has never grown that could conceal the soul of a man from the Lord Jesus Christ. The only difference between Nathanael and later, as we shall see in John, the scribes and the Pharisees, is that Nathanael, when he saw the truth, accepted the truth. The scribes and the Pharisees had so reduced Scripture to formula, they had so taken out of the scripture what they saw and made it the main thing that they did not recognize Messiah when he came. 
The scribes and Pharisees did not accept the Lord Jesus Christ because of he was the wrong messenger to carry the truth. They denied the truth because of who brung it, as they say in the South. They were speculative hearers. They said, satisfy me, answer my questions. I have curiosity, convince me, satisfy my prejudice. Dr. Harry Ironside, one of the great Bible teachers of our century, uh, told before his death many years ago of, an, of a day in San Francisco when he was walking uh, down the street beside a city park and a little band of the Salvation Army was there holding a service and one of them saw Ironside and so they buttonholed him and pulled him over and got him to give his testimony. And they had gathered quite a little crowd. And Ironside shared his faith. And while he was talking, a man in the crowd took a card out of his pocket and wrote something on it and slipped it into Ironside's hand. The man was a prominent agnostic. And he said to Ironside on the card, I will pay all the expenses for us to meet at a certain hall, and he named an auditorium in the city, next Sunday at 4 o'clock, and we can debate agnosticism versus Christianity. Ironside completed his testimony, and then he said to the crowd, I've been delivered a challenge. And he read the card, and he named the man who was there. And he said to him, Sir, I will agree on these conditions. First of all, I want you to bring two people with you. One a man who wasted his life in drunkenness and debauchery, who has been saved and turned around by agnosticism. And secondly, I want you to bring a prostitute who has had her life cleaned and turned around and changed by the power of what you believe. You bring them, I will bring a hundred, and we will have the debate. He did not accept that challenge. The debate never took place for that reason. When dealing with people about the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, avoid argument. The enemy of God will throw up a straw man at every step you take when you are approaching people about the truth and trying to help meet their spiritual needs. But do not agree to it. Point them to Jesus. Tell them that when they have mastered Jesus of Nazareth as he is revealed in the four Gospels and when they have discussed that with you in every detail, then you will talk to them about other things. Our faith is built on fact. Joseph Parker of the City Temple in London in the 19th century said this, If the church would be strong, she must be strong in the facts. When she gets away from facts, she gets into dangerous waters. I have no fear of speculation or of controversy as long as there is a clear and grateful recognition of the facts. We may be trusted to speculate so long as we are sure of our foundation. But if 
we trifle with the rock, we shall be the sport of the wildest dreaming. It's a 19th century expression that's a little strange to us. Intoxicated with our supposed independence while the chains of slavery are bound on our feet. You know, it is remarkable to me that in our Christian family, there are so many who will accept the truth about many things that the Bible reveals except the full truth about Jesus Christ and the Word of God. And I would say that if the Bible does not tell us the absolute truth about itself and about Jesus Christ, how can we trust it at all? We must stick to our facts. Now in verse 50, Jesus says to him, You believe already so easily you will see much greater things than this. He always rewards faith. In verse 51, there is a phrase that is unique to the Gospel of John. It occurs 25 times where Jesus says, Truly, truly, or verily, verily, or most assuredly I say to you, depending on the translation that you are reading, it is the word amen. Amen is a Greek word. It has come over directly into our English language. The Hebrews had a counterpart to it in the Old Testament. And they used amen the same way we do as the ending statement to say, this is it, this is the truth. And yet Jesus puts it at the first and he doubles it. He says, amen, amen. He puts it up front, this is the truth, this is all of the truth. And when the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the truth, verifies the truth by a double affirmation of its accuracy, we may know that there is no appeal from him. He identifies himself, as often he did, as son of man. Certainly he was the king of David's house and the king of Israel, but he was also Messiah for all nations, and it seems as though he affirms that from the very beginning. Now notice, if we, as we have seen five people come to Jesus, notice that they are all different. And the Lord Jesus Christ treated them all differently. Different men, different message, and different methods especially. There was no pet procedure. He treats them like individuals. Uh, someone once said, if you have somewhere a book giving mechanical instructions on how to deal with the souls of men, go straight home and burn it. Because the next soul you meet will baffle your textbook and laugh in your face. Humanity is infinite in its variety. And the Lord is always changing the method to meet the need. Follow the Lord Jesus Christ around. Now I'm for evangelism training. I practice a method in personal evangelism. So I'm not knocking that. But I am saying that all people are not the same. Jesus did not begin with the same two questions. He met people where they were. 
And the apostle Paul said, I have become all things to all men that by all means I might save some. Jesus Christ is God's magnet to draw men to himself. And the great bishop of the Anglican church, J.C. Ryle, made this statement, and with this I close. Let us pray that we may be of the same spirit as Nathaniel, an honest, unprejudiced mind, a childlike willingness to follow the truth wherever the truth may lead, a simple, hearty desire to be taught, guided, and led by the Holy Spirit a thorough determination to use every spark of light that we have. A man of this spirit may live in the midst of darkness, but the Lord Jesus will take care that such a man does not miss the way to heaven. May we pray. Heavenly Father, would you teach us that every day is an adventure that every step of the way there is new truth for us to learn. Show us our finiteness, our insignificance in the grand scheme of the world, and show us the greatness and the magnitude of our Savior again. May we be committed to truth. May we be devoted to the souls of men. May we, as these first five, follow you wherever you lead. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We will sing as a hymn of commitment during this time of invitation. I have decided to follow Jesus. If you need the book, it is hymn 191. I invite you during this time of commitment to come forward, to meet me here to share with us that you have given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. I invite you to come let us pray with you about your salvation. I invite you to join this church. I invite you to deeper commitment to the Lordship of Christ. But whether it is publicly or privately, what he would have you do, by all means do it today so that your worship may be complete. Do right now and quickly what the Lord would have you do as we stand and while we sing.